עומר אדי, אנד אקשן, אקשן, אקשן. הלו אבריוואן, ולכם לכם דבופס טופיקס, אפיסוד גאד נוס וואט, 36,37,36,37,37,37,37,37,37,37,37,37,37,37,37,37,37,37,37,37,37,37,37,37,37,37,37,37,37,37,37,37,37,37,37,37,37,37,37,37,37,37,37,37,37,37,37,37,37,37,
team leaders, and what about the scale? So the solution, like, is this for small applications? Maybe my application doesn't have so many microservices. Maybe I only have a front-end, back-end, and the database. Or maybe I have Kafka and God knows what else in my back-end. So how would it's, you it's, classify it's it? Like, it's like I prepared you with questions, and honestly, I didn't. If someone's listening to it, I didn't prepare me with questions, but that is a perfect question. And why? Let's go to the background. There's okay. a problem today, right? Uh, if you build today an application within your organization, in your team, in your company, mm -hmm. what do you go for? You go for a monolith or you go for, you start with breaking the things into components and then develop them separately? Oh, uh, it depends. It depends <laughs> on the, it depends on the time to market, it depends on the size of the team, it depends on mm -hmm. the, uh, you know, the frameworks that the team are familiar with. It really depends on the resources. Maybe we don't have even money for GitHub Pro and we need to do everything locally with some mm -hmm. Git server, whatever. So it really depends on so many factors, you know? Okay, so that's actually a perfect answer to what I'm asking because that's, that's actually the answer. It always depends. Things matter. Context matters. Are you a large team? Are you a small team? What are the skills? Maybe you're used to monoliths because you know how to build them. Maybe you're... DevOps engineer, quote unquote, is used to monoliths because he uses Jenkins and he knows how to only deploy these large deployments. Um, there are three main problems. Okay, first of all, I, we mentioned the skills. The next one is what do you start with? It's it's something. It's a debate. You start like a small team, two three people. We start working on a solution, a tool, our company, our application. What do you go for? A monolith, which is easier to start with because it's just a bunch of code together and it's one thing to deploy or do you go to microservices because maybe that's easier or we're preparing ourselves to scale or because we don't want to engineer that later or do you think that's actually premature engineering and you're over engineering etc etc and the last one the last one sorry is what do you want to focus on where's your focus which i think you mentioned are you focused on the technology aspect of things or the business side because if you're if you want to run fast with a business and you just want to make things quick and dirty, like we, we love to say, you're probably better off with something unengineered, a monolith that's easy to deploy, right? Mm -hmm. These are three problems. So we want to solve them. How do you do that? That's the proposed solution. So do you want me to jump ahead or do you have- Yes, yes, questions? yes. I'm writing questions. Meanwhile, that you talk, I'm like, I have so many questions and I want to interrupt you. So I'm writing questions. So go ahead and tell us what is this all about? Okay, perfect. So these guys came up with a solution which they called uh, Weaver, Service Weaver, Weaver. I'm not sure. It's W-E-A-V-E-R. I'll share all the links uh, below, including the paper, uh, YouTube or from GopherCon Europe a couple of months ago, and everything you need to know. It's obviously open source, written in Go, and it's very easy to use. don't think you should care um, that it's written in Go or not, but the idea is taking a bunch of code, you basically write your code as a monolith. It builds one binary, and then that binary can be distributed among different machines. You can run one process, multiple process. Uh, you can have things run together, kind of like a sidecar. You can have them completely distributed. And the way it works is basically, and it's very superficial what I'm going to say because it's not uh, diving into the deep aspects of it. One, because I don't really understand everything, and two, because I haven't had the time to play enough with it. But the idea is you build one base, one code base, and then that thing takes the monolith, build, builds a bunch of um, the same binary, actually, but every binary runs a subset of components. 
So for example, you write one binary and they, the example that they give is let's write a game that's called um, rock, paper, scissors, okay? You build three components, rock, paper, and scissors. And then when you wanna run the game, you'd say, uh, Weaver, these are the three components, build yourself. So it builds the same three binaries. Each of them will run a subset of the game. One will run paper, one will run rock, and the last one will run scissors. And then that will deploy them distributed among whatever you want. It's pre-baked with um, templates for Kubernetes, for GKE, for just normal instances. And it helps you do everything under the hood, including telemetry, logging, scaling, even profiling of the application with memory and everything you want. You have everything is baked in this tool or this framework, or I don't really know how to put it in, um, in a box. That's basically it. That's the idea. It goes a lot more in depth in the paper on how things can communicate. They actually remove gRPC from the process. They claim they build something even faster on top of that, uh, that communicates over TCP. They, they improved so many things and it's benchmarked across many, many other systems and frameworks. And it's really interesting. I mean, my mind was blown and apparently it's not, it is new, it's five months old, but it's not like from yesterday. And my mind was blown, like, how did I not know okay, about Okay, so now time for my question, right? Yeah, so I think, I think I'm doing something very similar, usually when I'm handling Lambda functions. For example, let's say I've created, so I'm trying to take your, the things you just talked about, about this architecture, or having the same code base and spreading around maybe multiple services or monoliths. So I think this is what I'm doing when I want to do a quick start project, like creating a Python application. Let's say this Python application has uh, requirements TXT, you know, with all the relevant uh, requirements, whatever. So for example, requests, which is like Axios or whatever HTTP request package in any other language. And that's it, okay? And my application has, let's say five functions. So one of them is, you know, uh, get, create, generate, delete, whatever. I don't really care. What I'm saying is usually when I deploy a Lambda function, I take the whole code and usually there's also a, maybe a shared folder or a global folder like, uh, you know, for utils or utilities or whatever you call shared it. Shared components. Is, yeah, shared components between those functions. But eventually, if you think about it, when I, when I build the code, usually what I do, I take the whole code together in the create function and in the generate function, even though it's not necessary, even though there is code. So when you build it, there is code that is not relevant to the part of the application that is running the service. So for example, if I take my function and each function is a service, each function has its own API path. Even though I only do the, you know, HTTP to get, the, if for some reason a hacker would access my endpoint and would be able to do whatever, he would be able to invoke other code, but the way I cover it is by permissions. So usually, even though the code, all the code is in the same Lambda function, I protect it with permissions. So it can't, it can't really do the other things in the code. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this is usually yeah. what I do. Is this the type of architecture you're talking about? Like having a single repo with, I don't know, multiple services sharing the same code, but deploying them separately like kind is this of what's... kind of okay. one okay. problem with what you mentioned is i think efficiency because you're ba you're actually building everything and packing everything into each of the lambda functions which necessarily means i think 
that you're running, you always have some kind of, a, of an overhead buffer on top of what you're running. You always have unused code. If I'm not mistaken, and I, <clears throat> sorry, and I understand correctly, Weaver solves that as well. It only builds what's relevant for the single component that it needs to run. At the end of the day, it is a single binary. It does come from the same code base, but it only runs what's necessary for that like single component. Like a tree shaking, like it's, it, kind know, of, what, yes. during the compilation, it searches for what was implemented or not, and yes. then pushes yes. it away. The, the way you configure that, you can, read later, but the way you configure that is you define a few interfaces for different components and then Weave, Weaver, Weave, Weaver, <laughs> Weaver picks up on that and, and picks up only what's relevant. So that's the interesting bit. So beyond, yes, what you mentioned is the concept. It's actually building the same thing over and over and then running the single component. The problem with what you're saying is that you're still stuck in the, uh, what do you what do you call it? Waste. You, you you're still stuck with the same waste of kilobytes. Right? Now now it's like the pros and cons. So I'd say the only thing that happens. So it really depends on the side of the application. So for example, if I had such a large application, mm -hmm. I would split it according to the requirements. So if, yep. if some parts of the API doesn't use requests and use NumPy or Pandas, I mm -hmm. would split it according to the requirements. This way I wouldn't have this waste and the only waste is a kilobytes of code, you know, that's no that's more. one bit. That's one bit. Uh, but when things you're right, but when things scale and you're building really large systems, you might get into a point that one of the components is really heavy and it takes a long time to build. Something that takes a long time to build is not only a CI problem. It takes a long time to ship the image and then it takes a long time to pull the image to every new node. So this one, so I think this might break down. This is like, this is my breakpoint. I mean, like, this is like, when I get there, where you're talking about, like, listen, it's too big. We cannot continue building everything when we only need like two megabytes. We exactly. produce every time 50 megabytes. So this is when I'm saying, okay, let's redesign the architecture. But until that part, I don't have to deal with any code isolation and multiple zip archives and storing artifact per build. So, you know, cause you, when you build something, you're like, Okay, if I only have a single file, it's way easier to manage your artifacts because a single file is all of your application. And the only difference is during the runtime. So it makes, I think, everything easier. So when it comes yes. to what you said, when the differences of, I don't know, the parts of the application are maybe this like it's very small, this is very big, I would split it. I so think. Th that's the thing, exactly. To build on what you said, Weaver is the solution to that because you always we started with one of the problems being, what do I decide to go with? Am I focused on technology, on the business? Should I go with a monolith? Should I go with something that's already separated from the get-go? And Weaver say, you shouldn't care. Do the same thing when you start and when you scale, it'll work the same. You don't have to decide now, just start writing code and then configure an additional component if you need afterwards, right? You start, you build something, you decide that there's a logical component that needs to be separated from its neighbor, just do it, just add a component and then keep building and keep building and keep deploying. And you'll slowly spread the application across however many servers, pods, applications. Uh, so is this, a, is this a framework? Because Weaver, it I is. think. Yes, it okay. is a framework. Yeah. So what's the name of the framework again? Uh, Weaver, just service Weaver. As is, ah, I'll, I'll leave okay. it, it's on GitHub. It's on GitHub, okay. there's a website, there, there are talks, there are papers, it's apparently- In my mind, I see Weaver and I see those Golang beavers and I don't know why it reminds me of Weaver. There <laughs> gophers, is a tool. Gophers, <laughs> gophers. Gophers, yeah, but, 
Weave, weave, not so it's weave, not weave. It's weave. Weaver. I think is a is a network layer in Kubernetes. It's a network provider, if I'm not mistaken. Weave works. Right? Maybe the one who invented traffic. I, I don't know. Anyways, Could yeah. Be. So weave. Traffic, Meir. Traffic. Traffic. Traffic and baggy. Uh, yeah. All right. So you'll leave a link and we'll see how it goes. So anything else you want to add about those? So because we can dive on many, many monorepo, uh, monoliths or whatever. So anything else you want to say about this paper you want to focus on? Uh, there are many, many aspects that are interesting to dive into. But what I think is now we know about a new technology, relatively new. And now we need to make a decision on like on the surface. Sounds like it solves everything. Right. And, and as an early adopter, I'm saying, why don't we just jump ahead <laughs> and start using it today? I mean, we're building something in my company, right? Or you in yours. Let's just take this thing and run with it. So that's where uh, I think technology decision making process needs to come into play. And I want to jump on it. I want to take this thing now and start using it, but we need to make a decision. So I want to ask you, what's your process? If you now figure out, let's say that you've decided tomorrow, you read the paper and everything, and you decide that that's the best framework you've ever met. What is your process to making the decision, how you integrate it back it's into your workflow? It's an awesome question, because I think every, every engineer has its own way of examining new tool or, you know, how do you approach something, you know? So I would also like to hear what you're going to do. Like, let's like really manage it like I'm doing it. So. I imagine that after this talk, I'll go to the website and search for a quick start or a demo just to feel it, you know, just to see what does it mean to look at the code base and, you know, just to get a quick glance of, mm, does it interest me or not? If Let's I say it see... was super cool. You enjoyed every second of it. Okay. And if I didn't, okay. And assuming that like there's not enough, I would look for, and I don't do it that much because usually the readme of repositories is okay. Sometimes I go to YouTube and search for a practical live demo of the person who created the project, if it's a big project, and then I can see, okay, so this is how it works. Great. Right. And after I see that, I just, create... just, uh, just a comment. The creators are five or six Google researchers. It might not be the best presentation you've ever seen. So just a I, but, comment, right? But still, there are people like us who take tools and do YouTube videos for them yes. for free. You yeah. Know? yeah. Sure. So, so I look for that, you know, I like to see customers. I don't also, I don't like to see the creators. I like to see consumers. How, because if a consumer feels like us, you know, when we see a good tool, what do we do? We're like, I got to publish it. I want the world to know it's amazing. Even though I didn't even write it, but I want to use it. I want to, I want to share it. You know, I want to rewrite everything, everything I know. I want to rewrite it. <laughs> no, no, that, that's you. <laughs> if you see it in Python, you want to rewrite in uh, Go, you know, but uh, yeah. Um, so I take the project, I create probably a new GitHub repository, and then I follow the readme for a quick start to see how it goes with the, with a blank project. Okay. So my first goal is try to do it on my own with a very, very short and simple example to see if I like the basics. Once I feel real comfortable, I try to go to the advanced topics in this same project. And once I'm like, okay, maybe this is a very good option, maybe like Pulumi, you know, it's a, if you want to migrate from Terraform to Pulumi, you're like, how do I do it? So do what I just said, see the videos, create a new repository, try provisioning infrastructure on maybe your, your test account or whatever. See if you like the flow, you like it good. Now go ahead and read, but, but don't waste too much time on this because if you plan to move, 
read the migration process. That's super important. So if I find new technology and I want to migrate from something that I'm already doing, I gotta see if the migration process makes sense. So Pulumi, for example, have a great, they have an amazing docs because they know people need to migrate because the cloud is too advanced. You know, like everybody already has the cloud. It's not like there are millions of new startups. That was like, I don't know, five years ago, 10 years ago. We always have new startups, but a lot of them are already using Terraform or um, OpenTofu. What's right? that? <laughs> they, they changed it from uh, OpenTF. I think they changed it really? from, to OpenTofu, okay. something like that. that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know, they got That's bored of the name or something. Um, so okay. if, if you choose a technology like Pulumi, read the migration docs. If I like it and I feel comfortable with it, you know, that's the part when you start uh, involving other people and, and ask them for their opinion, like maybe other DevOps engineers, maybe developers, VPRD, whatever. So what's your yep. take on that, on embracing new technology or whatever? Okay, Architecture. So, sure. So we can talk about general, which I can start from. But I must be honest with this kind of thing. This is like the everything. This is the framework for everything for writing the code base. It would mean, let's take my situation today. We have somewhat of a problem with lambdas because surprise, surprise, the lambdas are hard to scale. Because that lambdas, sounds the opposite. we have because, problem with lambdas because, because, because lambdas. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, so we are making a little bit of an effort to move what's relevant and what shouldn't be on, on serverless functions to something else to another technology. Obviously, we're going to think to areas like Kubernetes or other container orchestration solutions, but that's the idea. Weaver might be an entire replacement for this thing. So we've made some effort. Does it make sense to take this? You talked about migration process. It might not be the easiest thing in the world moving from one distributed, not one, sorry, a distributed code base across dozens of repos and dozens of applications deployed in different and various systems and then moving to something that takes them into one place and then deploys them, redeploys them with a whole other level system, technology, tools, everything. So you need to replace quite a bit. So with other things, for example, you mentioned Pulumi versus Terraform, CloudFormation, things like that. This would mean translating your code into something else and start moving on from there. I would approach both debates, let's call it. I, I would approach both problems in the same way. I would start building new applications. If I decide that this is my technology to go or at least test, I would try to take a new application that we're building and go with that and start understanding the concept, go with it, first of all, to staging. If I have other environments in the process, I'll do that, go through an entire- There is a reality pipeline. issue. There is a reality yeah. issue with the things you mentioned, because usually when okay. you need to develop a new application, your VPR and mm -hmm. tells you, listen, we got a new customer. We, he gave us $10 million. We need to mm -hmm. give this, this service needs to go live in, in the next three weeks or in the next two months, go. And then you're like, you can't really do what you're talking. Usually, I mean, usually it's like, if you need to bring yeah, to, right. to provision a new service, it's not like, let's discuss about it. We have time, you know? You're right. So more often than not, there is this one feature that someone or some team is writing because next week the customer wants it and for whatever reason there is always a developer sitting in the back room and working on rewriting a certain service always you always find someone trying to improve a process from three four something some i don't know how many years ago the guy that works on legacy 
and maybe this guy can take his code base and move that to Weaver, for example. So mm. that's what I try to do. For example, in our context, we're making a shift, right? We're making a shift from functions to containers on our end. This thing works with containers. Still, it doesn't mean we, we're trying to move a bit to Kubernetes. It doesn't mean we ditch Kubernetes in this case. It just means we need to take a bunch of workload and translate it, air quotes, to something else to work in one repo, one code base. And instead of building multiple Docker files or multiple binaries or different pipelines, we use an entire new system instead of Argo, for example, or whatever other CLI you're using to build, you're now using Weaver to manage your code base and deploy your services and build them and everything. It does everything. And in the summary, Omer, of like, okay, so what's, what's our, I don't know, five rules or three or whatever we come up with of migrating from one architecture, not choosing a framework, all right? So maybe changing architecture from one to the other, like moving from Kubernetes to ECS or moving from Lambda functions to Knative or moving from whatever right. to whatever. So yeah. what's your, let, let's sum it up. Let's uh, have some so it, base It's points. hard to put everything into one box because you mentioned a container orchestration system, then a framework, and then, I don't know, a cloud provider. It depends. Let's go with this thing. This is, it's hard to put in a, in, in, in one frame, but I think we can call it uh, a framework, a build, deploy, build, deploy, manage solution. It's it's hard to box this thing because it's it's a new animal. This thing comes in a context. If your situation within your team, company slash wherever you're working, it fits right now. If it makes sense, for example, like us, we're making a shift, or maybe you're just starting out. Maybe you're just exploring. You're testing the waters. This is the time to try something new like this. However, you do need to make some kind of a tech due diligence. Understand that it not only fits your needs, but you have the skills to work with it and it scales and it works. It is coming from Google. It was researched, but it is very much new. To remind you, Kubernetes came from Google. It was named Borg. It took years until it was production grade and released. And still then in the early years of Kubernetes, it was very, still is, yeah? But it's, it was very hard to work with and take things to production and you'd encounter, I don't know, endless, endless problems on, on multiple layers. So I'm just saying, you need to test, you need to understand that it fits, that it makes sense and then go through with it. I wasn't testing it too much, but from the general, the first impression that I had with it, it's a great tool easy to test and easy to get started with. So if I would start a team today or tomorrow, I think I'd go for that. If with I'm Weave. shifting something with with uh, with Weaver, if I'm shifting Weaver. towards a new technology, I think I'd try to integrate it. Got that's it. kind okay, of a so summary, not, not to your five point system, but let, let's shift idea. it. Okay, so let's shift yeah. it. Okay, we talked about modern application architectures, like that's the main topic of this topic. All right, so let's let's focus on, you talk to me about uh, maybe embracing new technology, writing new code or whatever. I just wanna see, like I wanna hear how you approach. Uh, you wanna develop something very fast. And I think we always have this, I, I, I think I almost every episode I ask you this question in a different flavor. Like when you, when you wanna develop something, right? You wanna create a new API, a new Telegram bot or God knows what you wanna create. You know, you have this hectic yeah. head where I don't know what's going on in there. <laughs> So whenever you want to do something new, 
how do you approach it? Like I have my own approach. I want to hear your first and I want to hear like what's the difference between us and maybe we can combine our ways together, you know, to get the best mix of starting a project with choosing the right modern application architecture. So let, let's put it in context. Let's talk about a side project, for example. Side projects can grow, but we start from a side project. Um, I think like most other people, my immediate approach is going with my comfort zone, which means going to the system slash language slash tooling that I'm already familiar with. For example, if I need to start a side project today, I won't write it in Rust, deploy it on GKE or use Azure and, you know, add a new tooling like Weaver, for example. Okay, I won't. I would go to things I know. I would deploy it on AWS or something that's deployed above that, like Fly or Heroku. I would go for Golang because I know the tooling in the libraries. Sometimes it would make sense. If I need to build like a full stack application, maybe I'd go for JavaScript or TypeScript in my case, because I'm experienced with it. I know Nest, right? So I can start working rather easily and quickly with Nest and I'll be able to ramp up pretty, pretty quickly. I think that's my system. That's my go-to when I work on side projects. I go to my comfort zone. You always say, try to step out of your comfort zone. I think to build quickly. Like, I'm gonna break dirty. it down. Okay, you yeah. said stuff. I'm all, you said AWS, <clears throat> you said TypeScript, you said good, but now you actually need to start doing stuff. So assuming you have this idea of application in your head, you have a feeling of how the backend looks like, how the frontend looks like, and let's say you have a database, you know, let's do a normal application without many, many more services. Yeah. How do you start when it comes, like how do you choose and say, okay, so I think I'll build it on AWS. At first, I think I'll use ECS. No, 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 no. First, I will create a Docker Compose locally. I will develop everything locally and only when everything works, well, at least like my MVP works locally good, I'll start working on the cloud. No, 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 no. First, I will create EKS cluster, deploy it over there, and then, so what's your, see how I'm trying to, there are so many options to actually start I will just, doing stuff. I, your last sentence is probably never applicable, ever, not even if you're Google. Never start with deploying a Google and a Kubernetes cluster and then start thinking. No, yeah, surely I would start working locally on my application. Even thinking about architecture and the way it's going to be deployed will be on the next phase. I don't want to say numbers, but on the next phase, I'm starting to work on the application. Once there is something ready, Docker compose locally, something. or would you don't, or you don't gonna even cause think about it. We need a database. So maybe Very you need depends, to orchestrate yes. between services and the network and whatever. Yeah. So would yeah. you go with Docker compose locally before you even go to the cloud? I usually will. I usually would actually start working locally because it's easy to start. For example, I'm running this bot you mentioned. I have a backend, I have a Redis for cache and a Postgres as a DB. I just run the two processes. It's very easy to run Redis and a Postgres in the background of your machine and just run the code against them. And then when I'm ready to pack them, kind of pack them, I would start with Docker Compose just to see how things play together and to actually see that the, you know, they can be uh, baked as images rather easily that I have Docker files and everything ready. And if they can play together, still play together that I'm not in localhost, kind of not in localhost, but across a uh, bridge network from Docker, I can move them onto the cloud. In my case, I didn't even need a cluster. It's a single so application. So where's the point? Okay. So I like it. So we started, I think we have a baseline where 
we both agree, first develop everything locally, everything you can. Don't even touch the clouds, don't let it complicate your project, it will destroy you. It's like dealing with, uh, you know, simple harmonic motions in physics, we don't even know what is a collision, you know? So it's like, so first unless, you do... Unless, unless. Let, let's put a star, let's put a yeah. star here. I'm working on a side project and I used something that I said, no, you know what, I wanna go even a step backwards. Yes, you start locally. Obviously, don't think of deployment from the get-go. It doesn't make any sense when you don't have even uh, one line of code and you're a single-person team. However, you do have services like Fly.io, for example. Fly.io, all you have to do is just pull the CLI to your machine. You can deploy it as easily as you would write the first line of your code because basically as, as soon as it's pushed to GitHub, they'll even give you a GitHub action that deploys immediately to Fly. And we mentioned Redis and Postgres, they'll give you services to immediately launch your Redis and your Postgres, and it'll probably work safer because they have their own backup system and upgrade system that would work better than your local host. That said, when you don't really have a process running and it's not doing anything, it doesn't make sense to deploy it. But a week later, when you do have something, it's very easy to get started. If you're not using a service like that, and this is actually something that's going to grow into a startup, and you are going for something like AWS, I would wait quite a while before I go there because it takes time to build an architecture, like a well-architected, um, a well-architected architecture. A well <laughs> it takes time to build architecture. Yeah, this, yes, it uh, takes time Amazon to build the, the Terraform code or whatever. And if you're, if you're not starting with Terraform, you're just deploying stuff, please don't. It will take time not only to build that, but it will later take time to back it up with code or with other systems. So, so I'm taking back your star, okay? This is your star, I'm taking it back, moving <laughs> yeah. it away for a second. So yeah. local development covered, this is the first part. Okay, that's the baseline. When do you involve the CI CD? Cause what I'm asking is, I can't even say CD cause CD means deployment, it means you have infrastructure. So right. when do you involve the CI during your development process when you don't really know the architecture like you don't really know where it's gonna be maybe you need to build a docker image maybe you need to build a zip file because it's gonna be a lambda function yep. like what's your how how do you choose or start choosing i think that's the most interesting part in our job when you have this crossroads of wait zip it or build it as a docker image and push it like yep. which way i'm gonna go i'm gonna go almost always rather quickly to build a docker file and if it requires i'll build a script around it docker file is basically can be your ci right a multi-phase docker file with two phases the first one is a is a build the next one is the one that's production ready it's pretty easy to build it'll take you if you're very very slow and you're not familiar with it it'll take you an hour if you are familiar with it it'll take you 10 minutes and once you have a docker file ready to go not only you can run it locally with some something like compose you can deploy it pretty much everywhere. Every system that's, you know, mimicking the cloud can take a container and run it. And even if you go to something like AWS, just run it within ECS is a no-brainer. And by the way, you have a tool that takes Docker Compose and deploys it directly into ECS Fargate. So if that's your thing, you I can think it's deprecated. You know, I think they deprecated. It, is. it, it makes <laughs> sense because it was very complicated. It was very complicated to understand. I think I tried to it use worked. it. Uh... A few months ago, and then I saw something that Docker Compose 2 deprecated it. We need to check yeah. it. I don't want to say it for nothing. Let, but let me think... correct myself. It worked flawlessly and it was very easy to deploy. But once you want to change something, it was 
yeah. <laughs> it was hell. But it does work if you're on, if you want your container running and you don't want to mess with target groups and load balancers and stuff. It works. Uh, yes. So I fairly quickly, I would build a container. Hopefully, with two stages, one for build and one. And for when release. do you involve this? Yeah. Okay. So that's like building it locally. So when do you involve writing a YAML file in GitHub Actions, GitLab Drone, or whatever? Look, CI that's pretty much that's pretty much the CI. Once you have an actual production environment, then write the CI. But if you have a Docker file that does the build and it runs itself, that's pretty much the CI, right? What what okay. what? What else? Is when do, when do you feel com? Okay, moving on, moving on. I'll keep asking the question. When do you feel comfortable <laughs> enough on wasting money in the cloud? You know, provisioning infrastructure. Okay, hang on. Before we even go to wasting money, when you want to deploy it in the cloud, and mm -hmm. you know, it's like your MVP, and maybe you want to show it to um, investors or friends and family, of course, first to get their opinion you want to show it on your phone you know bring your phone and say listen this is my new website demo dot whatever let's check it blah blah when is the part when you say okay so i'm gonna create everything with aws let's say console you know the graphical user interface or before you even do that you're like listen we are going to do it good from scratch first of all i'm doing it with polumi just as an example i will provision the infrastructure deploy the application and whatever like do you go immediately to infrastructure as code or first you're trying stuff with aws console or google console or whatever okay you're going into areas where context matters and not only it matters i can ask like a hundred questions now where are we what's the size of the team what Israel. Are the skills that we have yeah amazing yeah <laughs> where are we going with it do we have an investor do we not um we do we have money i just you mentioned that I just want to give a link to someone. Let me introduce you to a great tool that's called Ngrok. You know Ngrok? Yeah, yeah, I know. Ngrok is amazing. You can just share your uh, locally running process with somebody else. If you pay for it, you get a constant URL that you can share. You can just <clears throat> mimic the API or the backend or frontend or the component that you're running. So Ngrok would be great for the investors, <laughs> for example, with my, my Mac on their table. Which is also, Whatever. by the way, that's also a very good go-to tool. I'm glad that you say So if we put it again on a straight line, develop everything locally, use Docker Compose if you really wanna uh, check services and their communication and whatever. Once you're yeah. done and you're satisfied, you can integrate some CI just to see if it works, but don't, don't invest too much in it. Once you're done with that, you can use ng-rock to publish your website to show it to friends, family, investors before you even go to the cloud and waste time on choosing the architecture yeah so look how many steps we have before even we are choosing the architecture and services because when you go to the cloud you have an option to create a stateful set for a database of right. postgres for example or using aws uh, rds you know their mm -hmm. uh, relational uh, database service so even before we do that we have so many steps so you chose yeah. ngrock you presented it to investors show to friends and family they like it. Omer, congratulations. You have a great Telegram bot. Thank you. Now what? How do you, how do you go to the cloud with it? So to your cloud question, I would usually write some Terraform code to deploy it just because I know the material, right? I am familiar with Terraform. It'll be fairly quickly for me to write something that wraps whatever I'm building, even if it is a Kubernetes cluster. By the way, for Kubernetes, I probably would use something like EKS CTL or something around that. 
But at the end of the day, I will write some templates to help me deploy, destroy, and redeploy that afterwards. That's me. I'm familiar with it. We, you do have tools like ChatGPT, which we just talked uh, last episode. They're not that good with Terraform for some reason. Sometimes it works, sometimes it's not, and you're not getting uh, consistency with, with the answers. But it's an option. I'd go well, no, you, you don't stuff. pay. When you, when, you, when you say yeah, about GPT, it's not consistent and whatever, you don't pay. If you pay, <laughs> you, <laughs> get, you, you get good results. To be like, honest. Um, whenever something is free, you know what's the sentence? If it's free, you are the product. So obviously, when you use ChatGPT for free, you are the product. They just use you to train the model. But when you pay for it, you actually get results. So actually, GPT was a code name. I'm, I've used Mistral for that, which supposedly is on the same level as GPT-4. I'm excluding everything, everything that was released by OpenAI in the, in the past week. Mm -hmm. It's okay. It wasn't as good. Surely you can have different opinions with your, uh, with your free, uh, premium, <laughs> premium <laughs> subscription for ChatGPT. Uh, yeah. So anyway, by the way, if it works, great. So that's just strengthening the point. So I you go make. immediately to Terraform. You know that I would first try to create everything, like create a, let's say, a demo environment. I would do it from the AWS CLI, even if it's a VPC, because I don't know if you know, but AWS really improved in creating stuff with the wizard, you know, like a bootstrap. Yeah. So if you want to create a VPC, you choose two subnets, private, two subnets, public, not gateway, yes, no, what, like the, the Terraform VPC module, you know that it's very famous. So it's just like that, but with a graphical user interface. And then if I like it and I think it's good, and I wouldn't also go with EKS. I would first maybe create an EC2 instance and install Kubernetes on that. You know what I sure. mean? I, I would first go sure. very, 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 very small. So asking sure. my question again, would you do the same or yeah, would you go? Definitely. I, I would do the same any day, any time, because what you just mentioned is at least twice doing the same thing. One, for the first for your demo, and then the next time when you decide that the demo works, right? And again, it depends on how familiar you are with templating or what's your subscription level with ChatGPT and whether it can provide some good results. Because if honestly, if it's good with Terraform, just give it a prompt. I want a VPC and a private EC2 instance that I can SSH or SSM into, better yet, and it'll provide the template that all you have to do is Terraform in it and Terraform apply and you're done, right? And you have a repeatable template that you can use over and over. Why not? It's amazing, you know, that you've changed my perspective just from this one sentence <laughs> that, listen, we are living in a world where you're using <clears throat> ChatGPT so much. So why are you still using the graphical user interface? Why don't you just yeah, generate bother? template? Yeah, why bother? Yeah. 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 So that made me think, yeah, why bother? Maybe I will change my philosophy and start working, you know, with generated templates and whatever, because it's very today, I mean, in the past year, it's been way easier than before. I yep. think the, the, the greatest thing about AI, which I didn't have when I Googled for stuff, is an application doesn't have, like when you need to solve something, something big, there's no one question to it. There is no one component. So for example, mm -hmm. if I need to solve my application connection with Postgres, so the odds that someone on the internet have the exact same question of how Nest.js, Postgres, on AWS, on ECS, with Fargate, but on ARM and not, you know, has the answer for that or I'll find it on Stack Overflow is very, very, very slim. 
But when we're using ChatGPT and everything or to provision resources and whatever, it just takes it all and mix it up and gives you a great answer of it all. So I think that's like the greatest power of ChatGPT, you know, where it takes so many sources, so many Stack Overflows answers, give you a bad result, you fix it and it works. <laughs> I think that's that's exactly the power of these tools. <laughs> this is usually yeah, how this we... is the power of these tools. Yeah. How we use yeah, the ChatGPT. Yeah, yeah. That's what it's meant for. It's not look. Uh, not all the developers in the world are going to lose their jobs next year. They won't. However, many of them can be really good engineers only by leveraging that. It helps you with the automation. It helps you with the the simple stuff. That's that I think that that's the biggest message. That's the biggest announcement here. It can do really simple stuff, really really quickly. If you want to create a CI for GitLab or GitHub Action or even Drone, just ask it. It's It was trained on so much data that includes so much code on GitHub specifically for basically everything. It's it saw hundreds and thousands of YAMLs. It can do better than you can. Just ask it. And it, it can also help you search for your modern for example, application for architecture. Example, try, asking, try asking it later and see what it comes up with. Okay, so I think we had, let's let's do a summary so we can move to the corner of the week. Let's do, try to do a summary. So I'd say the local development, like as we said, choosing maybe when I have a site yep. project, I want to start something, starting developing lo locally, Docker Compose, whatever, I'm satisfied with it, adding maybe a CI in GitHub Actions or whatever CI service you're using, satisfied with that, you want to show it to someone else, great, use NGROC to expose your computer to clients, investors, fam friends and family. You like it, take Omer's advice and write Terraform, Pulumi or any other infrastructure as code to provision resources on the cloud and push it to the cloud. And then you can start moving around regarding the architecture itself. If it's ECS, EKS, maybe a monolith or whatever, when you get there, you'll know what to do. But first you need to run the application and see the loads. Like if it's not a very big application, maybe Kubernetes is an overkill. Yeah. So once everything is quite ready, you'll know, like you'll know when you get there to, to picking up which, which architecture you need or want, it will be after you used the application, developed a lot of features, a lot of things happened, and then you'll be like, listen, I need something stable. I need, maybe your application needs to provision containers very, very, very fast. That is Kubernetes. If you need it fast, but not ultra fast and fully managed, maybe it's AWS ECS Fargate. So then it depends on the application's requirements. Anything else you want to add about the summary? I wanted to ask if you touched on our first topic, which we started our conversation with from Weaver. I like yeah. it when you do a like, yeah. and then in the video, it's <laughs> like you do a like, yeah, it's amazing. So when it comes to Weaver, you know, using this framework, I'd say it's even a mm -hmm. step back of what I just said with the local development. So if you're starting a new project or you want to experiment with a new framework, that uses the modern application architecture, mm -hmm. whatever, you can use Weaver and see if it works for your it's, workflow and your just team to say, whatever. It, so we are also yes, uh, advertising Weaver. Many here. of your problems, <laughs> quote unquote, because it works on so many levels. It's how you manage your code. And then it takes you through how you manage internally your components within the code. And then how you pack them, how you build them, how you ship them and how you deploy them, which by the way, it offers plugins for, I think I've said, but many, many solutions. GKE, for example, Rock Kubernetes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to see it with my eyes. It's like you're talking and I'm like, I need to see it with, my, even though I see you, I'm not, not all the viewers can see you, 
but I'm, I'm just saying it's, I need it's to a see it. it's a different animal. It works on many levels, and it's a solution to many problems you have. If if yeah, to put a star on it, if it works as advertised, that's it. We'll put their name to the <laughs> test. I like it. Three hundred. <laughs> you know where is it from? You know where is it from? <laughs> yeah, immortals. We'll put their name. Okay, so. Now that we have done our summary for the modern architecture yes. uh, application or application architecture, we are moving to corner of the week. Am, are you ready to move ready. to the corner, Omer? <clears throat> <laughs> I always like it when you follow along. And because like, I prepare yeah, myself sure, as yeah. you're presenting okay, the so... corner. I'm, pre I'm preparing myself to what I want to say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so corner of the week. <laughs> Welcome everyone to the call of the week where Omer and I share anything that we've done in our in the in our lives, okay, in the past 100 years, uh, any any experience, knowledge, or whatever. So maybe we'll focus on something we did on the past week, or maybe something we'll do in next week. So Omer, any experience, knowledge, tool, or something you want to share? Yes. This week. Uh, two. First of all, just a random cool tool, or not a tool, a group of tools. So you know how you find yourself sometimes you need an online checker for JWT tokens and then you need to encrypt or decrypt uh, Base64, which the word would be actually encode or decode, not encrypt. And then you actually need to encrypt or decrypt mm. or parse a JSON or convert to YAML, etc. There are many, many great tools for all of these things and more. However, there's one place that is kind of trying to be a Swiss army knife for everything and it's called devtoys.app. So you just have everything there, not everything, but pretty much most of what you need. And you can actually install it. Uh, it's a cask on Brew. So if you're working on a Mac, Brew cask, install DevToys, uh, and you can see that, or just go, go to their website. That's one thing. The other is, as I was watching the presentation for Weaver, uh, they wanted to demo it. And in many times, or, or many lectures and stuff, courses that I've done in the past, I needed an, an example application, like a demo to run to teach with it, to help with it, to show something, to run an MVP. So apparently Google have, it's under the GitHub for Google Cloud Platform. And they have a service that's called uh, Microservice Demo, that's an uh, online boutique. <laughs> okay, it's just an online shop that you can, it it's, has fake stuff on it, but you can basically shop for clothing and shoes and stuff like that. That's it. It's a demo that's distributed into a few services and you can run it with, it has a Helm chart and it's ready to go with the Istio stuff and Kubernetes and customize, et cetera, et cetera. So pretty cool and pretty useful. Nice. I think AWS yep. had its yeah, own exactly. uh, pet store, yes. I think. I was using that right? a lot and then I figured that they have online boutique and it's pretty cool. These are my two. Nice. Okay, I think I only have one, a quick yep. one about GitHub Actions. Um, I wanted to, so sometimes you have an application where you have maybe even six environments, you know, development one, development two, staging one for customers or whatever, and you also have a flavors of your application. So flavor number one, flavor number two, flavor number three. A flavor can also be maybe a release or debug, you know, it's really, it really depends. So you have many flavors and many, um, many uh, deployment environments, okay, many env live environments where you want to deploy. So I really liked it that in GitHub Actions, I created a reusable workflow. So if you're not aware, there is something which is called a reusable workflow. 
Um, you just create a workflow where you can use it in the same repository. You can use it also in other repositories, only if it's public or only if you are GitHub Enterprise user. Sucks. So you can't really share your workflow if you're not an enterprise. I don't like that. Anyways, you can use a local workflow and then let's say create a reusable workflow for deployment. And then in your actual workflow, which consumes the reusable workflow, you can use a matrix, which is, which is crazy. Because in GitHub Actions, if you want to do a mix and match between maybe an application flavor and a target deployment, so what I'm using is like a workflow dispatch, you know, this, um, where you can manually trigger a workflow. And then it, according to the inputs of that workflow, you know, the manual inputs of that workflow, it will decide whether to do this matrix or that matrix and everything is using the reusable workflow. This saves so many lines of code and eases the process of managing and maintaining so many configurations, you know, because every, every, every environment has its own, maybe CloudFront ID, S3 bucket, API endpoint. So every environment has its own sets of values. But if you use a GitHub Actions matrix with a reusable workflow, it's a great mix and I really recommend it. Okay, okay. that's my Amazing. goal for you this week. You can pretty easily do the same on GitLab. I mean, running a, a matrix within GitLab CI is... Uh, GitLab is crazy because yep. you also yeah. have templates. GitLab took it way further. You can create a repository with yep. templates and yep. consume it from there, you know, which is way more amazing. Uh, but yeah, GitHub Actions are doing their step-by-step, the, the step, you know, thing, towards The one and only thing I okay. can give to GitLab is their CI. Their CI system and their docs is not bad at all. Everything else it's is... It's amazing. Uh, beep. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree, yeah. I agree. I like, I also yeah, like GitLab CI a lot. Okay, so we've been to the corner, we did our summary. Anything else you want to end before we try to no, go back to our lives? Have a good and quiet weekend, everybody, or a week whenever you're listening to that. Yeah. Yeah, so actually it was good because we, we are recording this like after we had mm -hmm. an alarm over mm -hmm. here, you know, for bombings. So it's good because after an alarm, mm -hmm. usually there is a pause. So luckily I didn't have to run to the shelter now, That's you good. know, so we need That's to good. do it every oh, time after what? the alarm. I, I do have right? something to add. I have, I, I have an apology to the audience. Yes. Not an apology. And this is an explanation, not an apology. Um, you may have noticed that there is an ad or two during the episode. And the reason is uh, we passed the number of listens per episode that it, uh, it's eligible for basically advertisement. So we run a quick ad with every episode. If you have a problem with that, please let us know somehow. We leave our, you can always get our links and, and contact points, uh, but it's just supporting us and it's not even covering the, uh, the, the, you know, what it costs to use the platforms for recording or hosting the podcast, but it's doing something. So thank you for helping us by listening to six seconds of advertisement. That is it. Six, yes. 15, you know, it depends. <laughs> as much as we can. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay, so. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Sorry <laughs> for the advertisement. And uh, have a peaceful Thank you. weekend. See you next week. Bye. Bye.